Well, good morning, New Hope. Man, it's good to see you today. It is, a, it is a very unique time of year, isn't it? How many of you know it's nice that sometimes you can just have some fun in church? And uh, we, we definitely like to lighten the mood a little bit during the month of December and have some fun. And, you know, it's partly because it's just a different season than any other season of the year. Christmas is, is just different. Um, most of you probably already have your tree up, you have lights and you have wreaths and all those things. We've filled the church with all those things as well. And, and uh, I can almost smell the figgy pudding in the air. It's not really true, I don't really know what that is, but it actually sounds kind of gross. Uh, but nevertheless, um, it is a, it's just a, it's an exciting time of year. It's a, it's a special time of year for us. The, the Christmas season is definitely upon us. And it's also the season of Advent, which if you're not familiar with the term Advent, it just literally means um, the arrival of a notable person or an event. And uh, obviously in the church, when we celebrate Advent in the church, it's the celebration of the arrival of the baby Jesus coming to this earth. But it's more than that. It's not just the celebration of his arrival. It's also the anticipation of his coming again the next time. And so we take this whole month to celebrate this unbelievably huge monumental event that happened 2,000 years ago where Jesus came into this earth with very humble beginnings born in a feeding trough in a barn because there was no room for him in the inn and living this perfect sinless life, God incarnate and eventually dying on a cross and rising again for you and me. And it's, it just makes this season all the more special when you are a follower of Jesus to be able to celebrate Christmas for the month of December. And uh, I usually don't say Merry Christmas before the 23rd or 24th, but I'll say it today, Merry Christmas. We're, uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, uh, the, you know, the dreaded part of the Christmas season that no one is talking about today is that day after Christmas when you kind of get the blues because for a number of reasons, maybe Christmas didn't go the way you thought it would go. Maybe you, somebody in your family was kind of a jerk during the Christmas and maybe you didn't get a gift you wanted to get or something like that. Or, or maybe it's just you're bummed because it's actually over and you got to take down your decorations and you got to get back to normal life and you're going to have to go back to work and and to top it all off, to put the icing on the cake, you gain some weight because you ate too many cookies. You know, there's, there's a lot of reasons that we can be a little bummed after Christmas. But what I can tell you is I believe wholeheartedly we can shield ourselves from that after Christmas blues. We can foolproof it for us if and only if we focus first and foremost on the Advent season, on the fact that we celebrate Jesus, his coming and his coming again. And if we do that, if we put him in his rightful place, we can know that this season actually never ends because we celebrate him every minute of every day. And, uh, and so we rejoice in that. And, uh, so that brings me to our theme for this, this month of December where we're talking about King Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we talk about him coming as a baby, but he also came as our king. And it's a beautiful thing that he did that. And uh, we're gonna be reminding you this whole month about the fact that he is still King. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter how bad things get, we know that no matter if it's good or bad, everything in this world is temporal. And it's good the day is coming where the king will come back and he will take us to be with him to rejoice forever in his kingdom. And we're thankful for that. Are you thankful for that today? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, that leads me to my text verse for the day. I'm going to ask you if you would please stand with me in honor of reading God's word together. We're reading out of John 18. This is a, an exchange Jesus had with, with the governor, uh, the Roman governor that was put in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate. 
He'd already been arrested and was about to go to the cross. And here's the exchange that he had with Pilate, starting in verse 33. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He came into the world to testify to the truth that he is a king, that he has a kingdom, and he's bringing that kingdom to earth through you and me. Praise God. The title of my message today is Not of This World. Please pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word because we know that your word is life, your word is truth, and your word is what transforms us. And we thank you today that we could celebrate because we know that we are in your presence. We know that you are in residence here. We thank you for your presence in this place. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do your work inside each and every one of us during these next few moments and that you would receive all the glory. We praise you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. All right, so I'm gonna have to talk fast. I have a lot to say, and Kel and Jessica took a lot of my time. Not really, just kidding, but not really. Um, but I am gonna talk fast, so, so stay with me. In fact, in hindsight, I probably should have broken this up into two different messages, but I really wanted to give it to you today. Uh, you know, this is the time of year that we do. We celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? With it, it, the celebration, the, the idea of Jesus as a baby gets... Um, it gets magnified during December. You know, we refer to the prophecies from Isaiah, one of them being that he said when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, you're gonna give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came as a baby to be with us. And that's a powerful thing. And in, in the Christmas story in Luke that we read all the time, it says that the, the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born. Not just anybody, but your savior has come to be born in this earth. And it's beautiful, we celebrate that. It is a wonderful thing. But I'm also here to remind you today and this month that he also came to be our king. He started with those little humble beginnings, but he came as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this Jesus we serve, we have to understand who we are serving because there's so many distinctions of who he is. And sometimes we can just pick and choose which one we want, but he's all of them. You know, the Bible says that he is mild, that he's meek, that he's a servant, that he's compassionate, that he's kind and faithful and patient, that he's full of mercy and full of grace, that he is the wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God, he's the everlasting father, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the, he's the prophet, he's the priest, and he is the king. And we rejoice in that today. And we're gonna be focusing on the fact that he is a king, because if he has a king, that means he has to have a kingdom. If you don't have a kingdom, you're not really a king. But he does have a kingdom, and he came to earth to establish that kingdom through me and through you on this earth. And it is the authority that he has in that kingdom that actually defeated the enemy of your soul. It's the authority he has in that kingdom that actually gave you the ability to step into relationship with him, to step into salvation, to be able to know him personally as your Lord and your Savior. It's because the authority he has in that spiritual kingdom. His kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. It's not an earthly kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. 
and he came to bring you into that kingdom. And it's so wonderful. He brought us into his family. The apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, he says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That means he brought us into the family. And if he brought us into the family, that means he brought us into the kingdom of God. He brought us into the kingdom. He took us from spiritual poverty to spiritual royalty. Praise God for that. He is so good. It's so amazing what he has done for each and every one of us. But as Christians, we tend to focus more on the fact that he is just, that he's our savior, right? That seems to be the, the primary focus of a lot of the, the faith that we have as Christians. And there's, that's not bad. That's actually very normal for us to focus on that because that's how we stepped into salvation was through a savior. You know, if you were to think back to the time that you got saved, the time that you stepped into that new life, that new birth, that salvation experience. If you think all the way back to that, I know some of you are gonna have to think way back. Some of you are gonna have to think back to like when the cell phone came with a big bag that you had to carry with it. Anybody remember those bag phones? Some of you have to think back even further than that. But if you think back to that moment, the reason you stepped into salvation was because you knew that you were a sinner and that you needed a savior. You needed saving. And so you received this savior who saved you. And so obviously that's going to be the first initial place of our, our expression of who Jesus is in our life. Most of us don't think when, before we receive Jesus, like, man, I just really want, you know, I want a king in my life. I want someone that I'm gonna have to lay my life down and let them have total control over my life and, and me be just a subject of their kingdom. That's not what draws us to Jesus. That actually usually comes a little later. That comes through the sanctification process. As you're being sanctified, and when you've tried to do it on your own long enough, you start to realize, I really doesn't, can't do it my way, it doesn't work. Because I need his guidance in my life. And to give your life, if you're gonna serve under any king, the king you wanna serve under is Jesus. Because he's always got your best intentions at heart. He's always got you on his mind. He's always looking to be a good king and a good father in your life. And he's the one that we serve. Praise God for that. So we have to have this realization and be intentional to focus on the fact that he is our king. In fact, I would argue to say that if he's not your king, he can't really be your savior long term. Now there's grace for us, of course, but as we step into that relationship with him as, as our savior, you have to let him be your king too because the kingdom of God is unique from any other kingdom in many ways, but one of the ways is because you can actually choose whether or not you're gonna be part of it. In most kingdoms, a king comes in, he says, you're my subject whether you like it or not. You're gonna do what I say. The kingdom of God, we have a choice. For when you stepped into salvation, you chose, yes, I want this. I want to ask Jesus to come into my life and I wanna give my life to him. But once you do take that plunge, once you do let go into that kingdom, then he's not just your savior anymore, now he's also your king. And see, we like him having the title of king. We don't mind that at all. It's, it's cool, you know, like even the, the, the word to see King Jesus looks good. We like to sing about it. It sounds good. You can get in your feels talking about or thinking about King Jesus. And we like the title. Where we get tripped up is when we actually give him the authority of the king and not just the title. Where we actually let him be the king over our life and to let him have his way, that we would be subjects of his kingdom, coming under him, surrendering our life to him completely, saying, my life is yours, God. You can do what you want with it. That's where we get tripped up. But that's also what he's called us to do. That's what his plan is for each and every one of us as we step into this life of faith with him.
And the reality is you are giving preeminence and supreme authority to someone or something in your life. That's what a king really is. A king is literally just someone that has preeminence and supreme authority in your life. And no matter what you're doing, whether you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're still giving supreme authority to someone or something in your life. It may be you. You may be giving it to yourself and living narcissistically just to fulfill your own needs. But something in your life has preeminence in your life. And how many of you know that there are kings and kingdoms that want supreme authority in your life? Kingdoms of this earth that really desire to have that supreme authority over you in your life. You, you, we see it every day. We're getting pulled every day to places where, where kings and kingdoms are trying to take supreme authority in our life. And these are all counterfeit kingdoms. They're all counterfeit kings, but they're very powerful nonetheless. They can be very, very powerful in our life. And so the, the idea of a counterfeit king is really just another way of saying an idol. And uh, if you know the, the great reformer Martin Luther, he, uh, he had this, this teaching, he came up with this uh, idea that I completely agree with. I think it's 100% accurate. His, his saying was that of all the commandments that God has given, the 10 commandments and the whole law, everything, every expectation God has on us in this world, they are all rooted in the first commandment, which is that you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first of the 10 commandments. Everything else in life, every other commandment of God or any other sin in our life where we would break the heart of God or we would go contrary to God's plan or will or his standard for our life, every one of them falls under the idea of not having any other gods before him. Because if you don't have any gods before him, if he is the top, if he is the preeminent one in your life and he has supreme authority in your life, the rest of the stuff kind of works itself out. It doesn't mean we never sin, but it doesn't have supreme authority in our life. You know, if I, if I lie, it's because I have decided, I put something above truth and honesty and I've made it more important than serving God. If I covet after something, it's because I've, I've cherished something in my heart so much that I put it above God. If I lust after something, it's because I have determined that my pleasure is more valuable and more supreme authority in my life than God. It all falls under that one commandment. And these are all kingdoms of this earth that want to have place in our life, that want to take over and have strength and have preeminence in our life. And so based on that theory alone, uh, in the last, I don't know, I think it's been the last 10, 20 years, uh, Tim Keller, popular, famous, a uh, preacher and Bible scholar uh, came up with a, a, a teaching on this that him and some other guys that came together and came up with a teaching that, that I thought was really great and I came across it and I really wanna share it with you. I've, I've definitely tweaked it to make it relevant for New Hope and kind of put our own, my own little uh, takes on it, but I'm using a lot of, of the material they use and um, it's called uh, Source Idols. And what they have said is that basically there are four main source idols, four main kingdoms that we are uh, prone to give ourselves to. Everything else is a surface idol that, that really doesn't have a root, a, a large root in our life, except to go back to these four source idols. Basically, all of us in life deal with one, two, three, or all four of these source idols, and it'll cover, it will encompass everything that we deal with in our life. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna take you through these four kingdoms, as, as I would call them today, four other kings in our life and go through and, and help us to recognize maybe which one we would deal with the most in our life and allow God to pinpoint it in your life so you can deal with it and make sure that we are being intentional to keep Jesus on the throne 
in our life. And maybe one of these has kicked Jesus off of the throne in your life. The beauty of our God is that it's as simple as repentance. It is as simple as coming to him saying, yes, God, I have put this in place of you in my life. I repent of that. I'm removing that from the, the highest place in my life and I'm giving it back to you. So, but we have to know what it is. And, I, and this is, this is some, some really good material, so I hope you'll trek with me as I know I am talking fast, but uh, it's really good stuff. So the first counterfeit king is what I'm gonna call him today, is comfort. Comfort and pleasure. If comfort or pleasure is king in your life, that means that it is the foremost thing that you uh, pursue in your life. Now, comfort and pleasure are not sins, they're not gods, they're not kingdoms in your life per se just because you pursue that. We are designed to want to be comfortable. We are designed to want pleasure in our life. In fact, one of the greatest aspects of knowing that I'm gonna be in heaven one day is knowing that that will be nothing but comfort for eternity. And that's okay. We are designed to want that. To know that we will, it will be pleasurable, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease, that is very comforting to me and it makes me wanna go to heaven. So that's okay. But if comfort and pleasure in this life is first and foremost, it has become a God in your life and there's no place for it in our life if we're gonna follow our God. And it's a tough one because pleasure and comfort is is everywhere in society. Everything is marketed in that way, right? I mean, we see it all the time. It feels like everything that people are trying to sell you is marketed in such a way that it's either comfortable, it's pleasurable, it's amazing, it's great, it'll make your life better, it'll make everything easier in your life, and so that's how they force things on us, right? I mean, clothes, furniture, TVs, electronics, cars. Could you imagine going to a car dealership and the car salesman's like, you know, the, the seats aren't really that comfortable. It actually doesn't ride very well either. It's kind of a rough ride if I'm honest. And the air conditioning, eh, it might work, it might not. But it's a really great car. We would say thank you, but no thank you, right? Because that's not what we're there for. We want the comfort. We want all those things. So it's, it's being, we're being bombarded with it everywhere we go, every day, all day long. And so if we're not careful, it can become a king in our life. It can become preeminent in our life. And if comfort is king, Jesus is not king. You know, kings don't share their kingship. There's no kings that say, yeah, you know what, why don't we have, why don't we have tri-kings here? Let's have three of them. You know, we'll see if it works. It doesn't work. There's no kingdoms with more than one king. And so if you're allowing comfort to be your king, you are not allowing Jesus to be your king in your life. So we have to reject this idea of the kingship of comfort because it's not biblical. It's not biblical, church. Now, I know I'm not gonna probably get more popular by saying this, but can I tell you today that your Lord and Savior's number one priority in your life is not for your comfort and pleasure? Now, he cares. He is a wonderful, a good God, and he's a good father, and he is, he is amazing. He's better than anything we could ever imagine in our life, but that still does not mean that our comfort and our pleasure is the number one place in our life. In fact, in fact, he is actually known to bring discomfort into your life. He will usher it into your life, church, for a myriad of reasons. Because he wants to prove himself faithful in your life. He wants your dependence to be on him. Do you know if you're just comfortable and everything's pleasurable in your life, your dependence on God is pretty low because you're just doing good. And if God has got to, you know, ruffle your feathers a little bit to get you to be more dependent on him, he's going to do it. 
And, it, and ultimately, at the end of the day, he's wanting to bring glory to himself. You're, the discomfort in your life, if you depend on him, it brings glory to God. And he is more about his glory than he will ever be about your comfort. Because that's who he is. So if comfort is your king, if that's the biggest thing in your life, and that's how you live your life, you are actually in conflict with Jesus. You're in conflict. Because that is not what he wants for you. He will bring it into your life when he deems fit, but it's not meant to be our king. So what I did is I, I kind of put a chart together and they're gonna put it up there and it's gonna build as we go along and I would actually suggest when we get to the last one, it'll be the full chart. I'd suggest take a picture of it with your phone. I think this would be a great conversation for you to have with your family. Uh, Joy and I have already been talking about it this week. It's been really great and, um, and take time to process this because I'm going through it really quick. So, so the chart answers the question, how do we know? How do I know if comfort and pleasure is a king in my life? Well, first of all, your worst fear will be stress. You will run from stress because you wanna do things that are pleasurable and stress is not. So you do whatever it takes to keep stress out of your life at the expense of many things sometimes. If stress is your biggest fear, this may be the king of your life. People close to you often feel neglected. They feel neglected because your focus is on your comfort, your peace, your pleasure, and there's just not enough room for everything, so what's gonna suffer is your relationships. So people in your life say, yeah, I often feel like you neglect me. This may be a king in your life. A common problem emotion, another way of saying that would be just like a visceral response that we would have if this is a, king, a kingdom that we serve in our life is laziness. Now, you don't just automatically go, oh, I'm not lazy, so that's not me. This is not like just the lazy, like I just wanna sit on the couch and eat potato chips and scratch myself all day, okay? <laughs> that's not what this is. It's, it's really about the fact that you're so determined to be comfortable in your life and have peace in your life that you will neglect other things actually giving the appearance of being lazy because you just can't be bothered with that because it will disrupt your comfort and your peace. So laziness is the problem emotion that you'll deal with. And so the solution or the response to this, the kingdom principle to this, is that God is our comfort. God is our comfort. You don't have to look other places for your comfort or your peace. What you need to do is redefine what comfort looks like. Because the reality is, living in 2022, about to go into 2023, the reality is there are no lives that aren't stressful. Stress is just a part of life now, right? Retired people are stressed out. I don't know how that works. But I hear it all the time. You're not going to get rid of all the stress in life. So the goal cannot be comfort by eliminating all those things. The goal is comfort in the midst of all of those things. And the only one that can do that really is Jesus. And I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. I underlined all the time he says comfort. Watch this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, I'm gonna read that again. The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Comfort in the midst of suffering, not in the place of it, okay? If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Comfort in the middle of distress, not in spite, not without it. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance 
of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I think Paul's trying to get something across to us here. It's about comfort in trouble. It's about comfort in suffering. It's about comfort in trials. And it's about persevering because it brings glory to God. And it will allow you to help others to bring comfort to them. All right, second one. Approval. If approval or being accepted is king in your life, it means you live your life to be approved and accepted by people. I mean, everything about your life is to make sure that people like you. You have a fear of man that's just off the chart and you can probably hide it sometimes and you can maybe even make it seem like you don't have it, but everything in your life is motivated by wanting to be approved and accepted. And it might come from, a, from trauma from the past, but approval is definitely a kingdom that wants to have preeminence and supreme authority in your life. And it's a tough one too. This is also, all four of these are tough because everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be liked. I've never known anybody that said, you know, my goal in life is just, just for everyone to reject me and for me to be unlovable. You know, I just wanna be the Grinch. That'd be great. Even the Grinch wanted to be accepted though, in hindsight. We all want it, and there's nothing wrong with wanting it unless it becomes the top. If it's above that don't have any other gods before me, that's when it becomes an issue in our life. And just like comfort, it can easily become a king. And we'll make decisions through the lens of wanting people's approval more than we want to follow the standards that God has for us in our life. You want the approval of people so bad in life, you will change who you are, you will, you will change your morality, you will, you will compromise your standards in life just so that people will like you. And you hate yourself the whole time you do it, but you're gonna do it every time, if this is a God in your life. So how do I know? Let's go back to our chart. Your worst fear is rejection. You do anything in the world to avoid rejection. You will compromise. I, I, like I said, you will hate yourself because you'll sit in bed at night and go, man, I can't believe I did that. I know better than that. But you'll just continue to do it over and over again because you're trying to buy affection. The people close to you will often feel smothered because you don't really know how to rest in relationship because you're trying to buy approval. You're doing too much. You're smothering people. You're making people feel weird when you're around. You're spending too much on a Christmas present for them that makes them feel weird. You're laughing too hard at their jokes when they're not even funny. You know, you're smothering. And it's sad when this happens because most people don't have the heart to tell you that you're doing it, but they'll just kind of try to pull away. And it just makes you do all the more because you're feeling their rejection. But you smother people that you're close to. The common problem emotion is fear. Very easy. It's fear. If your life is about being approved and being accepted, it's fear because there's no way that you could possibly ever fully feel accepted. And you're, so you're always fearing that eventually that person that is close to me that I've actually opened myself up to, eventually they're going to reject me. Again, because maybe there's some trauma in your past. Maybe you've been rejected in such a way that it scares you to, to open yourself up. And when you finally do, you're just convinced that person's going to reject you eventually. And you just live in fear. You just live in fear all the time and you just can't seem to get past it. And the kingdom principle is that God is love. Ooh, that's a, uh, that's a monumental, no one's ever said anything like that before, right? That's brand new. Fresh off the presses, guys, God is love. And I know you hear it all the time, but listen, there are very few, I shouldn't say that. 
there are a lot of Christians that don't really understand the idea that God is love. We don't really understand it. Because when we really know it, it changes everything. I lived for approval until I got into my 30s. It wasn't until I understood who I was in Christ that that all changed. It wasn't until I understood the love of Christ for me that I am not rejected by him, that he will never leave me, never forsake me, and no matter whoever could reject me or forsake me, I know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has accepted me and brought me into his kingdom and made me an heir and a co-heir with Christ. And if that just sounds like fodder for you, then you really haven't experienced it. I can tell you I've experienced it. And so I don't live for the approval of man anymore. And it's a beautiful, freeing thing in life. Now, does it mean I don't want people to like me? Of course not. I can tell you as a pastor of a church, I deal with it every day, making decisions like, are people gonna like me for this or are they gonna get mad? Are half of them gonna, usually half of them will like you and half of them will be mad about it, so you can't win. <laughs> but I make sure that I don't make decisions or, or I don't lead this church in such a way that I'm trying to win the approval of man, I'm trying to serve my God. And I'm trying to further the kingdom of God and whatever that takes. But you have to know the love of God in your life to be able to actually do that. Hebrews 13 and five. It says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Praise God. Man, we need to get this in our spirit, that I don't have to fear anything because my God will never leave me and never forsake me. That has to be enough, church, because people are gonna leave you, people are gonna reject you, you're not gonna always be accepted. It's just a part of life. All right, third one. The third kingdom that wants to have supreme authority over you is control. If control is king, you live to bring as much certainty in your life as humanly possible. You're wanting to make everything as far as you can handle it, you wanna make it certain. You live for security. And this is another tough one because we all like security. <laughs> Every one of us. I can tell you, I, I'm pretty intentional. I work pretty hard to try to have financial security for my family to try to make sure my home is safe and secure, to try to make sure the cars that we have are safe and secure, that the, the tires are good, the brakes work, all of those things. And that's not a bad thing at all to want those things in your life unless it takes the place of God, unless it becomes a God in your life. If I have put my trust in my ability to bring certainty into my life, it has become a God. And it is a scary place to be and it is a monster in our life if we allow it to be. Control is an absolute monster in life if you allow it to get into that place of the highest place in your life. So how do I know? Let's go back to our chart. Worst fear if control is your God is uncertainty. Not being in control of something can change your mood in a heartbeat. You could go from being in a great mood to being terrified in a split second if something that you think you need to control is out of your control. Uncertainty is the worst fear. People close to you often feel condemned, which is very interesting. That might not seem like it fits there, but the reason people feel condemned is because you have set such high standards in your life to maximize your certainty and your security that the people in your life can feel it, and they don't feel like they measure up. So they feel condemned in your life. And it's not because you're telling them, hey, you're not measuring up, you're not good enough, you're not helping me control my life. It's much more covert. But what you do is you actually send out a vibe that people feel. I've actually been accused of this by people that are close to me, that I, they feel like I, I bring this, this standard just by the way that 
the, the, the vibe I send out that makes people feel a certain way. They can feel condemned by being in relationship with me, even though I've never said a harsh word to them other than the sarcasm that's welcomed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but other than that, not even saying a harsh word. And I've had to, I've had to look at that and, and accept it and make sure that I'm not putting myself in a place where I'm trying to make so much certainty in my life that I put it ahead of God. Because the people in your life can feel it and they will feel condemned. The common problem of emotion is, of course, worry. If, you're, if everything has to be secure, you're gonna live worried because you can't possibly secure everything. And, and whatever's not secure, whatever's not in your control, you have no other option but to worry. There's no other option because you can't control it, which is hilarious because even the things we think we control, we really don't. You can superficially to a degree, but if COVID taught us anything, there is nothing in this world that is in our control, nothing. It can be taken from you like that. Anything can be. So it's really not in our control, but we convince ourselves that it is, and it becomes a God in our life. So the kingdom principle, and I love it, the kingdom principle is that God is trustworthy. See, if you feel like you have to control, it's because you can't trust God. So the way to combat that in our life is to convince ourselves and to believe that he is trustworthy. Let me tell you, church, he's the only person in all the universe that's trustworthy, 100% trustworthy. Your spouse might be 95% trustworthy. He's the only one that's 100. The only one. There's no one else. I love talking about the faithfulness of God because I have experienced it. It has changed my life when, I have, when it has got into my spirit that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, and it does not depend on my circumstances. It is because it is who he is. And when we get that, it changes everything. I don't have to control things. I don't have to control anything in my life. I hold my life with an open hand. Everything I have, I say, God, it's yours. Because you're, it's better to trust you with it than to trust myself because I know I'm flawed. And he's amazing. Psalm 145 says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, no one can even fathom it. We can't even begin to understand how amazing he is. Yet he gives us glimpses of it and shows us how amazing and how wonderful he really is. The reality is, is that God is not broke. He's a king. He has a kingdom. Everything in his kingdom is at his disposal at any time. And he's not broke. He's the richest king that's ever been. He has access to everything. And it, why wouldn't I want to put my trust in him more than in myself? We can trust that every promise of God's is yes and amen. And he is worthy of our trust. All right, fourth and finally, the kingdom of power. Power and influence and winning. If power is king in your life, you live your life for influence and success. All that matters in your life is winning. And I'm not talking about winning football games. I'm talking about winning in life, doing well, being successful, being influential, always being on top, always having it together, always being just so. Never showing weakness. Never letting anyone see any weakness in your life. If power is king, this is how you live your life. It comes from feeling like you have to prove yourself. And again, for many of us, it may come from trauma in our past. where We felt like we've had to prove ourselves to get anywhere in life. Man, I've, I've scratched and clawed for everything I've had in life. How many times have you heard somebody say that? I've got to prove myself. 
Power becomes your God if you allow it to. There's nothing wrong with wanting success. There's nothing wrong with wanting influence. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have things together. But if it becomes the paramount thing in your life, it is detrimentally affecting your spiritual life, wholeheartedly affecting it. And the crazy thing is about this, especially power of all the four, is that this flows into our faith probably even more than the other ones do. And it's so discreet in how it comes into our faith. Because what we'll do, if this is a God in your life and you're a Christian, what this looks like is that you want to be more spiritual than everybody else. You wanna be, you wanna have even higher morals than everybody else. Your standards are even better. You come into church and you want everybody to think, I got it all together. Man, if every marriage was like mine, there wouldn't be divorce. If every kid was like mine, we wouldn't even need discipline. I'm, they just, they're just angels, because I prayed and made them good. It doesn't work, by the way. But you always, you, you spiritualize it. And can I tell you something? This is probably, to me, in my humble opinion, this is the most dangerous one, because this is where the spirit of religion resides. It lives in the kingdom of power. Because we justify what we're doing, or what we're thinking, or how we're acting, and our righteousness that we live by becomes something that we stand on. And it's nothing more than works. It's nothing more than a spirit of religion. It's nothing more than trying to show everybody else how good we are. Oh, we'll give glory to God sometimes. Like, praise God. I'm so thankful that God made me so smart. What's that, the humble brag? Is that what it's called? We'll give God a little bit of credit, but it's really religion in our life. And it's incredibly dangerous in our life. How, we'll do, how do we know? We'll go back to our chart. If this, is, if this is your God, your worst fear in life is humiliation. The idea of being humiliated makes you wanna run for the hills. The thought of looking weak to somebody, unless it's that fake weakness where you'll look weak in something that you don't really care about. Like, man, you know, I'm a terrible cook. I just can't cook. That's not weakness, because you never tried, you don't care to cook. You want somebody else to cook for you. <laughs> but showing weakness in an area that actually matters to you is the worst thing in life. You would never want to do that. You would never want to be exposed as to having any weakness in your life. People close to you often feel used. They feel used by you. Most people in your life feel that way because they feel like they're only there to help you gain more power and more influence. That they're pawns in your life for you to use as stepping stones. Again, it's more covert. You don't say it out loud, but it's a vibe that you send out. That people in your life just feel like they're being used by you to advance your power, your success, your winning in life. The common problem emotion, anger. It's anger. If power is your God, anger is the emotion because no matter how hard you try, you cannot always win. And when you don't win, you get mad. Now, don't dismiss this because you would sit there and go, oh, well, I don't have a short temper. I'm, I, don't, I don't get angry. I don't have outbursts of rage or anything like that. I don't even have road rage. It doesn't mean you don't have anger. You know, you could suppress anger for decades. You can suppress it. Now, if you're somebody with a short fuse, anger will show up all the time and you still may not even deal with this. It may be different. But if, you're, if power is your God, you have anger. You might be doing a great job of suppressing it, but it's still there and it is affecting your life and it is affecting the people in your life wholeheartedly, without question. The kingdom principle, God is gracious. Praise God. He is full of grace. 
And when we understand the grace of God, what it tells us, what it, what it shifts in our life immediately is that I don't have to prove myself. Church, you do not have to prove yourself. And frankly, you can't prove yourself. You can't do it. That's why you need a savior. That's why you need a king of kings. That's why you need a Lord of lords. That's why you need to reject these four kingdoms and be part of the kingdom of God because he is the one, the only one that can give you the grace you need to get through this life successfully. We have to measure our success not based on what the world would say or not even in some church circles would say by being more spiritual than others. Success is measured by God. And let me show you how he measures it. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Paul has that thorn in his flesh and he's begging God to take this thorn from me. God, I'm serving you. I've given my life for you. I don't know what else I can do. I pray for people, they get healed and I can't get rid of this thorn in my flesh. Here's what he says. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What he's telling him here, he's not saying, when he says my grace is sufficient for you, I used to think that God was saying to Paul, listen, my grace is good, you just need to suck it up. That's not what he's saying. Look what he says, he says my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. He said, I'm gonna reveal my power through this weakness in your life. The power comes when we give ourselves to him. Paul says, I'm gonna rejoice about my weaknesses because then I know Christ's power will rest on me. So if you wanna live life successfully, you have to embrace your weaknesses and let God's power, which is his grace, flow in you and through you. That's how you win in life. That's how you live successfully in life. All the other stuff is going to pass away. Doesn't matter what people think of you. Doesn't matter how high people put you on a pedestal, it's gonna pass away. And the day is gonna come, if Jesus tarries and we're all here, the day is gonna come where you're forgotten. It's the fact. I don't even know who my great-grandparents were. They're forgotten. And they, I'm sure they thought when they were alive, man, I'm gonna be alive forever, everyone's gonna love me forever. Some of the most famous people that have ever lived, they're almost forgotten. We're going to be forgotten no matter how much power we have in this world. If I, we're gonna be remembered, I wanna be remembered by my God. I wanna be remembered for my success by the fact that I laid my life down for him. I surrendered my life, I boasted in my weaknesses because his power worked in me and through me into the lives of others. That's what success looks like. Praise God. All right, stand with me, please. I wanna, I wanna pray for us. Listen, church, there is no God like our God. These other four gods, they're paper champions. They're nothing, they're made of straw. His comfort is satisfying. His approval is eternal. His control is perfect and his power is greater. And he is worthy of our lives. He's worthy to be on the throne in our life. He's worthy, but we have to choose it. He doesn't force his hand. And if any one of these, if you deal with any of these, I can tell you today, I deal at least on some level with three of them. Joy has five of them. I'm gonna pay for that one. But we all, we all deal with these, but they don't, they, it, dealing with it and it being Lord over your life is two different things, okay? I, I deal with comfort, approval, control, power. I deal with all four of them. But I've refused to let them be on the throne in my life. Jesus is gonna be on the throne. Now here's the thing, to put him back on the throne, if one of these is on the throne, it's very simple. It's about, it's about being real with who you are, about where you are, the Bible is so crystal clear. 
say it all the time. I'll say it as long as I have this stage to say it on. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and put himself right back on the throne in our life. I added the last part, but that's what he means. That's what he wants for us. So we don't walk out of here condemned. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's repentance, there's conviction. That's what we respond to, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you because we know that it is truth, that it is life, that it breathes into us. And we receive it today, God. Lord, I thank you so much that your kingdom is so much greater than these other kingdoms. And Lord, we know your word tells us to pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on this earth. So we're doing it today. Let your kingdom come in each one of our lives. Let it come in each one of our lives. Let your will be done. We reject these other kingdoms in the name of Jesus where we have given them place in our life, where we have put them above you and, and, and made them gods in our lives, Lord. We repent. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, where we have done that. We thank you for your forgiveness. We are turning from that. We are putting you back where you belong on the throne of our heart and in, in us serving in your kingdom, yours and yours only. God, help us to reject these kingdoms. Help us to reject comfort and pleasure, to reject approval and acceptance, to reject control and certainty, and to reject power and influence and winning. We reject them today in Jesus' name. Lord, our flesh wants them, but our spirit is rejecting them. You are worthy of our lives, Lord. You are worthy to be on the throne of our lives, and we thank you for it today, and we bless you, we honor you, we worship you, and it's in Jesus' precious, wonderful, amazing name that we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we praise God one more time?